Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Greetings and thank you for tuning in to the Spirit of Time podcast. This is Matt. I am flying solo. Greg is doing his midsummer holidays, traveling back east with the family and stuff like that. And I am joined by, I'm actually profoundly stoked. I am joined by a guest host that uh, we've been wanting to talk to for a long time. I think if you've listened to this podcast, you know we've had Mike Stockton on several times, but we've never had his counterpart, Balash Balash Ferenczi from uh, Fratello, from Fratello On Air, and basically uh, a known entity in the watch collecting overse for years. I think, Balash, I first heard you on a Chris Mann podcast years ago. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that gives you, that gives you some idea. But I mean, <laughs> that's, how, that's how long I've been into it. Um, it is great to have you on, man. How are you? Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. No, it's a, it's it's a pleasure. I mean, Stockton beat me to it, right? But I'm thinking the last episode, or I'm not sure if it's, it's probably going to be the the previous one, right? Um, some one of you, maybe you mentioned me, so I was like, okay, it's time to come on because Stockton's been here, you know, a few times. Um, but um, yeah, thanks thanks a lot for having me, and really, I'm as I said, I'm very very honored to be here, and um, um, yeah, I'm still blushing. I. Uh, you know, we, we we are we are friends. We're a huge community. I love to to talk to anybody and everybody. And we guys like you guys and us, we have our little secret chat. So it's not the first time we talk. Obviously, it is the first one on air, but we definitely had our exchanges in the past. Yeah, it's time. I think I'm I'm slightly guilty here because I feel like Greg is going to be bummed when he hears this. <laughs> but we'll I'm have to have you back on. <laughs> What's, no, no, no. I think, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd let him know that uh, I was going to have somebody on as a guest host and that I was aiming for you, but um, that this worked out. And also, just by way of background, you are joining us. You are in Hungary right now, so we have a nine-hour time differential. I appreciate you you know, working on basically on our schedule because it's here. I'm happy. I am happen to be on vacation today, but it's you know in the eight o'clock hour here in the morning. So um, not a problem. Won't hold you up too much from your your social schedule. Not a problem. It, well, with that, our tradition is we do. You guys do Hangelenks controller. We do a wrist check, and we also because we we talk about spirits and wine and craft beer and stuff like that. We usually do a pour check too. Why don't we dive right into that? What do you have on the wrist, and do you have anything poured? Yes, and yes. So the it's not on the wrist, but it was on the wrist the whole day. And that's the Grand Cycle, the SBGA um, 439 that I bought last at the end of last year. Um, when I travel, I usually travel with only f- a couple of watches, and I have a G-Shock, which I which I usually use on the day of the travel because of the trains and planes and whatever cars. Um, I love that that watch, but then I usually take a few others, and and this time I brought four other than the G-Shock. 
and the the ground cycle is being being one of them and um i mean i i talked about this in the fratello podcast i really love the watch because i wanted something modern and it is a modern watch uh, all the other well because all the other ones are vintage right that i that i have here and it just you know ticks a lot of boxes for me uh, the size the weight the uh, the looks everything is just just maybe not perfect but very close to it so that's the one i'm having here we go yeah i'm a huge fan what are what are your thoughts it's kind of a love it or hate it but how do you feel about power reserve on the dial i've i've grown to accept it you know it's like the cyclops or whatever to be honest yeah i mean i i really love it cuz it it I mean, the watch is really big, right? I mean, it's it has a pretty thin bezel, and the the dial is huge, and it has a date. But if you if you look at the watch without the power reserve, the dial is kind of empty. There's a lot of real estate in the middle, so I think it kind of balances the the three o'clock um, date window, the date aperture, because this one is at seven eight ish. Um, I had a, a discussion with someone I don't know who about being the power reserve being on the back on a display case back. And I think that's the dumbest thing. I'm sorry. I'm not sure if I can say that, but, or if I can curse, I don't want to curse, but it's really, it's not, it's a silly thing to put a power reserve on the back. I think, um, I use it a lot. I check it. Um, today I had to, I had to wind the watch. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm team power reserve. Yeah, me too. And for the same reason, a, I like anything that adds a little bit of quirkiness. That's kind of a signature thing. I don't mind it being on the back. And for some of the really beautiful dials or the, you know, the dials that are going to be otherwise be very busy, I suppose that makes sense, you know, throw it on the back. But for the most part, especially like the watch you have with just that, I couldn't tell in the, in the image if, um, that particular example is a, a black dial or a dark blue dial, but basically it's a, it's like you say, it's an empty field without that power reserve. Yeah. And you can swear on this. We have a, uh, an explicit label. So okay, no, I, I, we can't really do it on Fratello. So I, I try not to, but usually I'm, I'm the one editing. And usually when I have to edit, I have to edit out myself, not so much Mike. So, um, but it is, it's a dark blue dial, but it's a super dark blue that is that, Usually, as you said, it really looks black from certain angles, or maybe you can see that it's it's dark or like deep, deep, deep blue. But that's the thing that I quite like about it that it's um, I love blue, um, and and I think it's and it's just something special. This this shade of blue on a, on this Grand Cycle. Yeah, there's they're fantastic watches. I yeah. I've had two of them in the past. I'm down to one. I have the SBGA four one three, the pink dial one before they open it up to the rest of the world. And I, I got that just because it is, it's a, it's a very pretty object. It's unusual. It's not like anything else in my watch box. And I, I bought it and rationalized it with the idea of passing it on to one of my daughters. But, uh, in the meantime, I'm just going to have to wear it and break it in. They're great. That's uh, that, those. And I really, um, I've, I've been to Tokyo twice last year and every time I've been, I went to the Seiko museum. And I know it's not necessarily Grand Seiko, but it's just, um, you know, when when you're in Ginza and, and Seiko is originally from that area in, in Ginza, I'm not sure if you've been to Tokyo. Um, I haven't. Well, it's it's really a yeah, it's a it's a super cool trip if you if you have the time and the means. I I, I suggest you visit Tokyo because it's it's really an amazing city. And in Ginza, this is all this like Seiko city or Seiko. Borrow, if you will. They have all the museums there and the, the boutiques and whatever. And I've been to the museum both times. And the second time was in November. And I came back and I said, okay, it's time to um, 
it's time to jump on the Grand Cycle bandwagon. I have a vintage one. I have King Cycles, but I haven't had a new one. And I had crazy appreciation for the brand, not only because of the museum, but after having been to the museum, I was like, okay, this is this is the time. That's when I bought this one. So, and I'm not done. That's the problem. I'm 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 looking at other pieces, and hopefully, I'll be back in Japan soon, and I can pick something else up again. Yeah, they're fantastic watches. I love the brand. I have a bunch of stuff. I think it's it's really easily possible to do, you know, big vertical collections or or find, you know, different niches within Seiko, you know, the the vintage, you know, the uh, uh like a speed timers or Yeah, oh yeah. You know, the, the I collect I know somebody who has a bunch of Belmatics and there's all all kinds of stuff. The divers. As an aside, I ran into somebody, a client of mine who I had mm-hmm. no idea. I just ran into him in the wild. And I've seen this guy a million times with a cheap watch on. And when he was not at work, he was, and I don't know the, the reference offhand, but he was wearing the titanium Grand Seiko dive watch. Oh yeah. And I was it's like, dude, let me see that. Let me see that. Bring it over. And big watch, huh? it, it, you know, it is big, but I mean, again, it's light. And I think the the big diver is the Seiko aesthetic. You know, it's, it's part of the design philosophy. I have a, an SLA 021. And it's massive and it's my favorite Seiko. It does not wear like a brick, even though it's, you know, it's a big, heavy watch, but you put it on and it just feels right. There's something right about a big Seiko. No, absolutely. I mean, I have a, I have a few vintage chronographs. I have a 6139. So the one that, that, uh, the Pogue, um, chronograph has, which is arguably the first automatic chronograph, uh, ever created, right? There's this, the story with the caliber 11 and the, El Primero. Let's just say it's the first automatic chronograph outside of Europe. I have the 6138, which is the jumbo. So a, a few vintage pieces, but nothing new. Um, and yeah, so that's my only, the one and only cycle, well, Grand Cycle. Um, and yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in love. But I have some other pieces. So let's, maybe we can talk about the other ones later on. Sure, sure. Well, what do you have in the glass? Because I see you have something. Yeah, so... Um, you know, it's um, I su- I'm supposed to be drinking wine, right? Because Hungary is a bit of a wine country. But um, I was out in the city and I was uh, in a rush and I wanted to get some Japanese beer because I, I, I really dig that, but I couldn't find it. And um, so I went with just a, a classic Peroni, classic Italian beer. Um, beer culture is not too big in Hungary and I don't really, I don't live here, right? So I don't really know what's good, what's the newest stuff. Uh, German beer would be kind of boring, if we do this next time and I'm back in Germany, I'm happy to bring some. I think I've put some uh, some photos in our chat about the the, the German uh, selection we have. But um, but yeah, just a, a regular cold Peroni from Italy, which I which I quite like, and it's you know easy to drink and it's quite hot here. It's about thirty some Celsius, so at eighty whatever Fahrenheit. So you need something to cool you down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that one. That's a good one. No, no, no. It's absolutely, it's, it's, um, I mean, it's a holiday beer for a lot of people, right? And they go on vacation. That's what they drink. And well, I'm on the first one. I have another one. So maybe, maybe I have to crack that All one. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You're in a, you're in a safe place here. So all good. Well here, let me, I'll go then. I've got a, uh, I cheated basically. I didn't know what to do. So sure. I double this. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it. So I've got the, um, on on the dominant wrist, right? This is the my Speedmaster. I figured, okay, I've got Balash. Uh, he's a, a Fratello guy, and I've got to have a Speedmaster. So, 
Yep, there it is. There and so I, I'm sort of a little bit, maybe a little later than yours. It, you know, at least I think, depending on what exactly you had. But I, I know you were talking about your preference for having a kind of that transition. And this yes. is, this is a, uh, um, what do you call it? A, uh, uh, oh my God, the references escape me. One four five two two zero seven one. So it's a, is it a straight, a straight writing case back or is it already the circle? You know what? Let's take a look. It is, it's a drop R printed dial. Uh-huh. There is no, there is no dot and no, it's circular. The writing is, I see what you mean. I, I was yeah. like, all oh. um, cause you have the straight writing that's, that came before this one, but after the, the, the empty case back and mine yep. is the, it's the 60, 68. So I, this is a transitional. I have a, 321 but this is transitional with no um with nothing on the case back i mean the uh the just the logo or the, the speedmaster logo but no no nasa stuff yep and this one is just uh this is an honest you know workaday model this has been um it's been serviced it's got uh you know crown and pushers replaced about four or five years ago with a broken fourth wheel and at some point just based on the looks, it probably had, uh, actually there's no, probably it almost certainly had service chronograph hands. I think all, all of the chronograph hands are one part number. Mm-hmm. And then the, the main, this is the way it's been explained to me. The, the main, you know, t- um, hour and minute are another part number. So hour and minute basically look original. They're faded out and ghosted. And you know, the rest of it is, uh, is a little bit cleaner and newer. So the, the chrono seconds hand is intact at the tip. But everything else is just kind of nicely sort of creamy and and very slightly funky. And the bezel is like perfectly ghosted. Yeah, it's beautiful. No, it's yeah. a lovely piece. I mean, mine, this one, this one also has service crown and service pushers. I have the original uh, parts, but with them, you know, with those parts, the watch is not really fully, well, it is functional, but you'd have to be careful. So I, I don't mind, you know, pushers and crowns, whatever. I mean that's that's a lovely piece. Seventy one is an awesome year. So what is it? An eleven seventy one bracelet? You have it on? You know this is a uh, an aftermarket. I have the the OEM bracelet for it, but it is sized just barely to fit. And I'm pretty skinny. It's like a six point six inch wrist, and it barely fits. And in in warm weather and stuff, it's pretty tight. And it's it's pretty old. And I just worry. I mean, I could flex, and I feel like I could, you know, break that thing. And at some point, that bracelet is a a decent chunk of the value, I guess. You need, you need, you need, a, you need an extra link. Let me know what the reference number is, and we can we can see. Yeah. If we can. Must be an eleven seventy one, I think. I think so. So this is on a um, on a Forstner, and I think they call this a. It's a, you know colloquially termed like their president style bracelet, kind of you know bullet style or or whatever the term is. But there's a an actual. I think it's an, maybe an eleven forty or. Don't quote me. I'm I'm doing this without notes, but it's uh it's the Forstner aftermarket. Looks very similar. Um, it's got the the friction fit clasp, so it's it works in a manner that's consistent with kind of the vintage piece. So that's on one wrist, and on the other, I went completely different. This is neo vintage, maybe mid '90s to Tima military chronograph. This is one of my sort of favorite emotional favorite watches with the Lamania 5100 chronograph movement it what i personally think is one of the most important like military chronograph movements ever made 
Yeah, it's like the Sin the Sin era when 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 those German guys went with the same kind of design. So Sin Tutima, they all made this. But I, I love that. I love this movement. I love the watch. Tutima is really not something you unfortunately hear a lot about, right? Um, I'm in in other brands. There's a brand presence here in North America. They are down in the South Bay, which is close to us, and you know periodically they're in my ads, and. I'm trying to start like a whisper campaign with the local ADs to tell them, hey, you guys, you need to contact this dude from Spirit of Time and get him a loaner watch. Um, it's, um, there was a guy you know, called Gustavo. I don't know if he's still there, but... Um, I didn't want to say his name, but yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time we went to see Tutima at Basel World, we always met with him. And uh, I was wondering if he's still working for Tutima. Yeah, yeah. As of, as of at least a few months ago, that was the last interaction I'd had. But I'm like, come on, send me some watches, man. No. They should. They really. Nobody should. loves you like I love you. <laughs> they, they really yeah, when I, you know, I, I I see a lot of watches in the in the wild and get-togethers. I've I don't remember seeing a Tutima ever outside of like some very very you know specific collectors, the army or or military watches and stuff like that. You don't really see them around. Around here, I only know one other guy. Shout out to you, Jason. Hope you're doing well. Um, only one other guy who has one. And, you know, let alone multiples. And mm. it's just not something you see very often, given its significance. Um, it's just kind of weird. So, so that's the watch. And so I've got vintage and neo vintage. And then in the glass, it is morning time, but I am on vacation. So I've got a, uh, a tequila sunrise here. This is basically orange juice, a little bit of club soda. This is kind of how I do it. A, a tiny splash of grenadine float and give it some color. I've even got the uh, the umbrella, little umbrella in there. Yeah, and it's uh, Fortaleza Blanco tequila. It's a really, really good tequila. People probably are gonna gasp that I would I would make a mixed drink with a a, a Blanco from Fortaleza, but it's excellent. Oh, I do a I I mix a, you know Scottish whiskey with a Coke sometimes. I really don't care too much to be honest. I mean, if it needs to be enjoyed, it needs to be enjoyed. However, you want to enjoy it. That's so, it. That's it. So it, that's as close to a breakfast cocktail as I could muster. Either that or uh, Kahlua and coffee. But I've already had too much coffee. We don't want to interrupt this podcast like three times for me to get up and pee. <laughs> well, let's start with this, man. Because one thing that I've noticed is a through line from all the stuff that you write about, stuff that you frequently talk about, not exclusively, of course, but a lot. I mean, and again, going back to that interview with Chris Mann, um, it seems wow. like vintage is where your heart lies. You talked about, you know, vintage Seiko and Grand Seiko. Can you talk a little bit, what are, what brings you to vintage? Why do you think that's so good? And can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges collecting vintage, especially the, the less common brands? I really don't remember that the, what was the, if there was anything that kind of directed me to vintage versus new. I think I just thought that if you can buy a Speedmaster from the 60s, and we're talking 2004, 5, 6, right? So about 15, almost 20 years ago. Um, if you could buy a vintage Speedmaster that was the same price as a new one, that goes to show that there is something special about vintage. And I like vintage stuff. I like vintage cars, vintage watches. So I'm, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate things that, that were back then done in a way that... 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, they're still valuable. They still work and they still look um, good. And in the case of the Speedmaster design is pretty much the same. 
So that's probably, that was the reason. And if you collect vintage, I think eventually you come to this phase when you want new stuff. And I've always had new stuff and I, I still do. Um, and that's why I bought the Grand Seiko and that's why I bought the Ming. But for some reason, vintage is something that I that I, I do come back to. Um, and when it comes to vintage, it's it's mostly vintage chronographs. But when I bought my, my GMT, I knew which one I wanted. I knew I wanted that reference and not the 16750 and not the 16710. I wanted the 1675 from the 60s because that, to me, that was the quintessential Rolex. And it still is. And I, to this day, I don't have a new Rolex. I have a couple vintage ones. I don't have a modern one. And I have a loaner that I wear from, from time to time, a, um, a sub, a new sub. And it doesn't give me that feel. It's a nice watch. It's cool. It's beautiful. But when you put on a vintage Rolex or vintage Speedmaster or, or, or even a vintage uh, Angelus, for example, to me, it's just a, it's just, just this tick, just special feeling that that new watches just, just don't have for whatever reason. Maybe because I see a lot of new watches, right? Maybe. I don't know. But No, um, I could see that. And I think you're, you're definitely right. Both Greg and I are firmly on team five digit for for rolexes for instance as much as i like value and respect the new stuff and if somebody offered me a brand new gmt i mean i'm taking it oh absolutely yeah but um i there's there's just it's different i don't know how else to describe it so can we go on a, a small tangent you mentioned and you showed me earlier your gmt master so today is July 5th here in the United States. Yesterday we had the July 4th holiday. So every July 4th, among other things, like I watched the Magnum PI episode, Home from the Sea, which is the origin story of the GMT master in that show. And it's, oh, it's, when, it's the, when the dad passes away and he's a correct, child. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the lore in that is it's 4th of July, Magnum's out on his surf ski, he gets basically right. buzzed, buzzed by a boat and he ends up having to tread water for like two two days or something like that you know and he keeps looking at the gmt and the, the gmt gets referenced a lot now it's it doesn't really make sense because it's supposed to be flashing back to july 4th 1950 the watch didn't exist yet but who cares and i think the watch in the show is actually one of the last gmt masters i don't i don't think it was a 1675 but anyway the point being I it think always it makes me think of I think it was a sixteen seven five, but maybe I'm wrong. But it was definitely yes. The the timeline was not correct because it should have been a um, yeah even before the Pussy Galore uh, GMT. So it's uh, it's not fitting so to the timeline. I think for the people that are really nerdy and into it, and that's maybe not me, or maybe it is. Um, I think that the sixteen seven five does appear to be the watch that they keep showing on his wrist in those sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the watch that you see him wear for the rest of the series is is the next the next one basically. Yeah, but it's the it's the same thing with the Ferrari, right? We just talked about it. Like it's the the three oh eight, and then there's like four or five different models that they use throughout the show, different three oh eights and different license plates and stuff like that. Even though you never hear them talk about getting the newer version, it, you know you they. The, you believe that he's driving the same car over and over again, and you can see like the index bulbs are once yellow, once it's white, and it, once it's like a it's a GT, it's a GTS. So, yeah, that's yeah, a cool. Yeah. I found out fairly recently that they the other sort of signature vehicle in that vehicle in air quotes is the oh. um, the well no the Hughes five hundred the McDonnell Douglas the five hundred the helicopter oh the helicopter yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I, I did not realize this, but I think they crashed at least one or two of those, you know, in production. Um, I know there was at least, I think one fatality and, but that was a standard color, believe it or not. I mean, people think that that, you know, is a, is a cool, like, oh, that's the Magnum PI helicopter. I think they made, you know, you could order that directly from Hughes at the time. Once, once I went down the, the Magnum PI rabbit hole and there's a cool website detailing all the watches and cars. And I, I've read through all the helicopters and also the Audis, I think they, which is super cool for a European to see that he's driving a, was it Audi 5000, I think, which is the... Yeah. Exactly the full size oh, Ford oh, yeah, Audi. Yeah, I I'm an Audi fan and I've had a few in my personal life. I I also geeked out about that. If I take a long time between watching and then go back and watch something, you expect to see the helicopter, you expect the, you know, the Vanagon, you expect the the Ferrari, and then you see the Audi and it's like, oh yeah, that's the other hero car. It's very unassuming but bitching. We had an 80 back in the day when, when in the 80s, when uh, when this was out, the 5000, I think, was never a European model. It was the 80 or the 100, I think. And my parents had like a, a champagne colored Audi 80 in the 80s. That was a cool car, big, huge car. Oh, I can imagine. The first generation. Then the second generation was called the Cigar Audi because it was kind of round and kind of looked like a cigar. That's the one that it make... Uh, uh, cabriolets off of but the first first generation which is kind of a boxy sedan it's the audi 80 and out 100 audi 100 that those were the cars back in the day yeah yeah well that does my heart good to hear that you're a magnum pi fan i have a it through the podcast but it's me basically i have an ongoing challenge that i just started with um somebody who's in the the collector community here in the united states and she's a uh a, was a wilderness firefighter and is now a a fire captain for a, a major organization here in California, but Wildlander Six, Asha Wagner. Do you know her? No. She's she'll be referenced periodically from uh, like Jason and James from the Gray NATO, and I think she's probably had some kind of the, she's got an occasional like uh, maybe a Hodinky reference or, or or something. I mean, she she bubbles up. She's a she's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but she and I have a. Uh, an ongoing feud as to who's the the bigger fan and who can kind of manifest the vibe better. So I finally tracked down one of the the Detroit Tigers hats, and uh, I ordered the you know the C quartz from Momentum and <laughs> the Hawaiian shirts. At the end of the day, she can put together the best package, but only I've got the mustache. So Gosh, I'm always gonna win. No, it's gonna dye my mustache. And- I'm not. I'm not an expert. I just really, really love the show, and it's quite a lot of episodes, right? It's like about a hundred or even more episodes. Oh, it's it's and- eight, eight, eight seasons, and um, and I've got them all on disc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a lot of episodes, and I also I just a few years ago I, I rewatched it and I and I found some discrepancies, you know, with like Robin Masters, like who is this guy? You you don't see it, but sometimes you do see it. Sometimes you think it's Higgins. Sometimes you think it's not. So there's there's all these discrepancies in the show, which is which is quite cool. Um, I, I should rewatch it actually now, now that we talk about it. Yeah, I, I watched one recently. There's an episode where, and we're totally going to go down this this rabbit hole. Sorry, but the the episode where Robin Masters loses a bet and it was a cheat. In other words, he was being cheated and didn't realize it, but he loses a, a poker game and ends up having to give up the. Uh, 
the Robin's Nest for one year to some kind of you know p- publishing magnate who yes. cheated him in poker. So it's kind of like the the trope is like what you would have had back in the day with Charlie's Angels, where you can hear the voice but you never see the guy. Yeah. The guy picking and, up the phone but you don't see who that is. Exactly, and it, it does sound very much like John. Is it John uh, Hillerman, the the actor who oh, played? Yeah. But sometimes I think he was played by uh, Orson Welles, wasn't it? In it might have been. I think in it, some of the episodes, or maybe I, I I saw an interview with Tom Selleck where he said that in some episodes it was Orson Welles who 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 played Robin Masters. But we don't know, right? So we don't know if it was him or not. Or according to the story, if it's if it's really Higgins, I think it I think it makes no sense. If you're if you're such a rich guy, why would you hide as a caretaker? But um, I was a child when I first saw the show, and I think the reason I bought the GMTs. Maybe not 100%, but but partly because of Magnum, because I remember it was one of my earliest watch memories, seeing Magnum, this cool guy in a red car, you know, in Hawaii, beautiful, uh, beautiful state, beautiful islands, and, you know, driving around a nice car and helicopter, shooting people, wearing a cool watch. So probably that's one of the reasons I got the GMT back then. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. That is one of the things that cemented you know, the idea of watches is an important thing in my head. I'm a bit older than you, but it was that and uh, Breitling, you know, was a big part. Dude, I, I'm about to say that I don't want to have our episode go too far off on the Magnum PI tangent, but the reality is I desperately want that, but I don't know that anybody else does. We should probably have, we could have all of the people who are sort of into the Magnum PI thing. Oh, we should. Some people, some people are into the James Bond thing. I watched every um, James Bond movie as well back back in the day. And we could easily like we'll have to have Asha Wagner on and you on and I don't know the about the extent to which um uh Stockton is a fan, but I mean it sounds like at least a little bit. And Probably. that that would be a great like four person episode to just geek oh, out yeah. on. Just we be like listen. If there's like an anniversary, maybe there's like a Magnum PI anniversary coming up. I'm not sure. Okay. We yeah, well they just canceled the reboot, unfortunately. But um, yeah, well, that I, yeah, I've watched. Have you seen the new one? The new uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, my that's how I got my daughter introduced to it. Was really you know, uh, showing her that because she she found that the the Higgins character was the lady. Yeah, yeah. Did you like that? The the the, the reboot. You know what I did? It was it was different but same. I thought that was kind of interesting how they had these little tidbits. Mm. You know, in the first episode, the Nuzo character is a you know a good guy um who's caught up in something and it took a long time for me to say hey who is the analog who's the analog and there is an episode you know with a, a newzo who is you yeah. know from from their past um yeah anyhow yeah she likes it i'm i'm disappointed but i imagine i think the show did well but it probably was a phenomenally expensive to make Probably. I, I, I was not really the biggest fan of the new one. I, I quite like the old one, but but yeah, but once you know it, once you know the old story and you know the characters and you know the, the places and stuff, then you realize, oh, that's the oh in the old one and this and that. Um but to someone who's new to the show, it's it, it it's just a, another scene, you know. So Yeah, it's all good. But either way, it's it's a great entree to vintage watches and the enthusiasm because it 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 puts the hook in people, you know, once they, it flips that light switch. So 
we were talking before we went off on that tangent a little bit about like the challenges of collecting vintage and you, cause you'd mentioned specifically, you know, chronographs, but what, or how did you, how do you stay afloat on that stuff, man? Cause I'm terrified. I do not want to go there. It's difficult. It's very difficult. Um, you need to, we just talked about this a uh, few episodes ago with Mike. I don't want to plug my own show. Don't get me wrong, but, but we really did. Um, you really need, I feel you really need a community, a bunch of guys around you because you cannot be a, an expert right, on, any, on, on every brand and every model. And sometimes you, you do your research and you, you do your due diligence, but you're still not sure what's going on. And, and you need those guys that you can ask um, or those forum threads or whatever the case may be. For, for me, a lot of the times it's, you know, Mike and I chat about it. Uh, we have a great group of guys, um, mostly in the U.S., who, who know a lot about vintage watches. I know, I think, quite a lot about Angelus chronographs. I'm no expert. I have guys in Switzerland and know way more than I do. And I, I'm, I'm happy to call them, you know, my friends and I can WhatsApp them and they, they, they give me their, their, uh, their thoughts. But, but you just really need to do a lot of research. And really, if something is, you know, looks off, it's better to pass it on and wait for the next one. Um, otherwise, you, you can get burned. And with a vintage chronograph, if something is, is not correct, in certain cases, there is no chance you're going to find a handset or there's no chance you're going to find the correct bezel. So you really, really have to be careful. Um, and lately what I've been doing, I did a lot of Angelus stuff. I collected a lot of Angelus and I did a bunch of articles. And lately I've been, you know, uh, I've been bitten by the Excelsior Park movement bug, which also means Excelsior Park branded chronographs, Galley branded chronographs and other um small brands like Varix that I, I also bought. It's just uh it's just another realm of weird and wonderful watches, Excelsior Park operated brands, uh, Gerard Perigo, Zenith, uh, a bunch of them out there. So when you're buying these older chronographs, do you just you know from a kind of a, a constitutional mindset point of view, yeah. do you do you buy with the expectation not only that something may be hard to service, but that you're trying to buy this thing and is essentially is like pickled, if that's the right way to put it, because there's maybe an, a place in the back of your mind where you realize, hey, this may not be serviceable. And if it's not right, like it's, it's, it's going to be the way it is now and it's never getting better. I don't think about it, but it is, it has to be, uh, it has to be in the back of your mind, right? You, you, you need to, I mean... Where granted, I usually don't don't um, gamble on projects. I've I've had my fair share of projects. Some turned out good, others didn't. I don't do that anymore. But just recently, I bought a Galley um, uh, EP40, so the the, the three subdial version, and um, the 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 kit, it's it's gunked up. Like the, the the pushers don't work. The watch works, but the pushers don't work, and uh, the case is is shut, so it's gonna go, um, you know, first quick service. Uh, I bought it in the U.S. It's still in the U.S. It's gonna get serviced in the U.S. and then it will make its way to me. Um, but I've bought an Excelsior Park new old stock, and it still needed a service because it was totally dry. So you 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 have to always 
fathom the cost of, of, of the service in and maybe parts and stuff. And, um, but you shouldn't think about it. You should be aware of it, but you shouldn't be worried because then, then I bought watches which were serviced and it was still not, not kosher at the end of the day. So you, you have to know what you're buying. I like that philosophy. You have to not think about it. I, I think about it, ergo, I never do it. <laughs> well, it's- but listen, that's why you have guys like us. You can ask us and we're happy to look into it and give, give you our two cents and, you know. Fair. And that's actually probably the best possible answer because, at the, you know, when you think about it philosophically, that's a, a, a great sort of in microcosm and explanation of what's so great about watches. You know, the idea that there is, we, we joke about a community, but there really is one. No, no, Matt, it's, it's that, I mean, to me, um, community and the, the, the collector circle is just as important as the watch or the watches or the the brands themselves. Like if you think of the speedy Tuesday events we do, or we did back in the day, or you heard me and the, the, the time for a pine podcast, which was always a podcast Chris recorded before the get together. Fun fact, I'm going to London in July. Well, this is July already. In two weeks, I'm going to be in London for the Time for a Pint get-together, the last one, sadly, because he's going to finish this get-together thing at the end of the year. And I was, I'm not sure if it was one of the first ones, but I was an early uh, get Time for a Pint get-together adapter, and, and, I, and, I, and I still want to support the guy. So um, I love those things, you know, get-togethers and traveling anywhere in the world and and getting a DM. I was in Salt Lake City in February and the guy messaged me and he said, Hey, you're in my city. I'm not sure if we, if, if I can, you know, make it to downtown and see you, but if you need anything, if there's any issue, let me know. I'm, I'm here to help a, a fellow watch guy. And that's, that's beautiful. Right. And that's a, that's a big, big part of, of the hobby in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I think over the past, you know, maybe five, six years, of, you know, getting into, again, the community piece. I mean, I've been into watches for about 20 years, but, you know, the, the various fora have kind of morphed into the different, you know, social media platforms and websites and blogs and things like that. And it, it, things are more connected now that there's more of us, it's easier to find people. Um, I spend a lot more time with people where my association with them is because of the hobby, as opposed to because of work or anything else. And it's, it's become a, a pretty significant social circle in the best possible way. Absolutely. I dig it. Yep, yeah, yep. Absolutely. Well, man, you mentioned this, let's change this up a little bit. Cause you talked about going to Salt Lake and if I'm not mistaken, you went to Salt Lake for an NBA event. Yeah. Yeah. It was the all-star weekend this February. Yes. So you've always struck me as being somebody who's into basketball and NBA and as somebody who's, you know, predominantly lives in Europe. How does that happen? Like, how does that interest get fostered for you, Balat? Well, it was difficult back in the day, but my, so first of all, if you think of the four major league sports in Europe, you kind of, well, basketball is number one for sure. Hockey is number two and probably baseball and football number three and three and four, whatever, but they're basically non-existent, right? Uh, um, my 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 mom used to play basketball. My uncle played basketball, so I'm 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 not that tall anymore. But when I was a kid, I was pretty tall. I'm, I'm like six two now, six three, six two. Um, so it was very very obvious for me that the only I, and I and I suck at soccer. I can't I can't for the love of God play soccer. I can play with my my guys, you know, in a 
and a cookout in the afternoon, but I'm really not, I'm, I'm not good. I have long legs and long arms. And anyways, handball is really not my thing. So the only team sport that I kind of enjoyed was basketball. And I loved the music. I loved the culture. You know, I loved, obviously, nothing to do with watches. But if you love, like, 90s hip-hop and you love those movies and basketball and, and fashion, they'll kind of go hand in hand. Um, so that was for me. And, of course, basketball was huge in Hungary. It was huge in, in Yugoslavia, even though we, we, we're a different country. But we had some coaches coming over and players and this and that. And I could watch a lot of those games. But it was easy back in the day. But, like, in the 90s, you you could barely catch a game but but for some whatever reason we still got the info we still got the the games we still knew the players we had the cards and you know all that stuff so and i just i just stuck with it and i'm i'm really no basketball expert but but i probably is the only major sport that i really know a lot about and um hockey was number 2 i stopped following the nhl about 15 years ago but I was a big, uh, big um, Red Wings fan back in the 2000s and like the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, and I do follow now baseball and football, football mostly for, you know, Super Bowl and stuff like that. But basketball is the, um, yeah, it's the, it's the number one um, love for me when it comes to sports. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you can really get engaged in watching if you're, if you're not an expert. You know, it's not super complicated the way you know, something like, well, again, for the average American my age or older, obviously younger people, soccer, you know, football, football yeah. uh, has become a lot more common among younger generations. And so they, you know, understand the rules and the nuances of the game. If you're, if you're my age, I'm in my fifties, you know, I grew up playing American football and baseball and to a certain extent, basketball. Um, baseball is, I think the most fun but it's also the kind of thing where the fun is being there. Yes. You know, as opposed to watching a game, watching a game sometimes until you get down to the end generally isn't that great. Uh, basketball, on the other hand, you can just, you can have it just go and look and catch it for five minutes and, and see a lot of athleticism, a lot of, you know, dynamic things happening. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's fast paced, right? Like football, you have to stop, and then of course, when you watch a game, you know it's it's it goes on and then it stops and it goes on again, and then defense, offense, whatever. Baseball is probably, as you said, fun when you play it, but it's also a lot of standing around. Whereas basketball, you have you have a, a you know a quarter if you just go down to the local whatever basketball court with the friends, and you can just keep on running up and down, up and down, up and down, and or if you do play street ball three on three that still there's plenty of movement you don't have this in football and, and baseball so i think i, I mean in europe is soccer is, is really huge it's the number one sport obviously but but as i said i was never the the i didn't like the i i i found and i and i kind of still find soccer a bit aggressive to some degree of course hockey is as well but hockey you need you know an ice ring and da, 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 da. but for football you don't you just need the ball but there's a lot of, um, back then at least, a lot of pushing and, and shoving and elbowing, and I, I never liked that. So it was always basketball for me. Yeah, it's just a very fluid game. I think there's something, too, that's just viscerally satisfying about throwing something and hitting something. You know right. what I mean? In other, in, in other words, like shooting a basket, it, it, what is it that uh, we find in, in bars and in wineries all over the place. And it's, it's a competitive thing now, but there's a game here in North America, maybe Europe too, called cornhole. It's a, the worst name ever, but, um, 
have, do you know what I'm talking about? It's essentially, it's a beanbag toss, you know, but it's the kind of thing where it, you're throwing an object at a target of some kind and darts, right. Or like bowling, you, you do the same thing. Exactly. And it, that just kind of occurred to me. I think maybe that's the appeal because I'm not good at basketball. I don't, you know, I don't follow it, but give me a basketball and a, you know, a hoop and a net and I will sit there for an hour and yeah. shoot, you know, free throws and, and layups and stuff like that. And maybe it's, maybe it's, it's coming from the time, maybe it's coming from the times when we were just hunters and we had to throw those spades at animals, you know, and probably that's, yeah. uh, but I don't know, <laughs> in the middle ages, they were, they were throwing stuff at each other and stones and whatnot. So maybe I'm not, I'm not sure. I really never thought about it to be honest, but, but yeah, bowling, darts, football, baseball, basketball, it's, other than hockey or golf, it's still the same kind of movement. Yeah, in air yeah. Round. Almost everybody can relate to it, you know. Even if you're if you're not good at the at the sport, any of the stick and ball sports, the, the more complicated they get, the harder it is to relate to. You know, something like lacrosse, let's say. But absolutely, yeah. Basketball, I mean, that's a that's a round ball that you're you're trying to throw into a bag. Yeah, you know, essentially. Yeah. Right on. So how was that trip? It sounded like, you, do you do other stuff related or was that, there was a watch tie into that trip or was it just? That a- was, um, no, that was a Tissot trip kind of. Um, and so I was, I was um, um, invited by Tissot and I um, was very grateful for the opportunity because if you like basketball, I think the NBA All-Star Weekend is really the, the you know, like the, the top of the, of the iceberg kind of, but um for the past few years, um, the NBA All-Star Weekend kind of became something that, that was a bit boring. It is not what it used to be because of the NBA constantly changing the rules and whatever. And they, they actually realized it. I think this was the worst uh, All-Star in terms of uh, um, viewers numbers. So they, they're going to go back to the old uh, old way of doing things like East and West. Um, but it was it was amazing because it was in Salt Lake City. I've never been to Utah. I've, I've, I've been to... East Coast quite a lot, and West Coast we we t- kind of talked about this, and I spent some time in Arizona and in California and stuff, but I've never been to um, never been to Salt Lake, and it's a it's a beautiful city, it's a wonderful place, um, not the biggest party town, um, but um, so if you want to get your drinks and record your podcast from there, you, you might be in trouble, but um, <laughs> but it was a, it was it was a beautiful city, it was uh, sunshine, it was very cold, but the sun was up, it was. Um, chilly but but sunny weather the people were extremely um you know welcoming and and super helpful i'm not sure if it's because it's utah or it's because of the nba all-star weekend or both but it was a it was a wonderful experience and seeing a lot of a lot of the players that i used to watch when when i was a child right on tv like ellen iverson and dominic wilkins and charles barkley and Shaq and all those guys and uh, you know and uh uh, not in full HD for the first time, but actually in front of me, and and um, this was it was it was something special. Now I've I've been to games in in um, in Brooklyn. I've been to the Nets um, Nets Arena, watching the Nets and the Knicks um, in October a few years ago. I was in Miami. I I saw the Heat against uh, OKC. So I, I've I've seen a few games, and I'll be in the US in September and on my vacation and uh, with my with a friend of mine and. He's in Cleveland, so we're going to watch some baseball and football for the first time. We're going to watch some. Uh, okay. Cleveland. What is that? Cleveland Command, not Command. Uh, Cleveland Guardians. Is it the Guardians? Guardians, yes. The Camp Command, yeah. the Washington football team. Yeah. So that's the plan, at least. 
No, that'll be a lot of fun. In fact, um, some of the guys on our, we have, I, I hesitate to call them a sister podcast, but it's kind of a, a loosely affiliated, you know, uh, the whiskey and watches guys. Um, and that's another one, you know, Stockton's been on with them a few times. Those guys are, are all in Ohio. I'm sure they'd be stoked to hear that. Baseball, I think is kind of like NASCAR where it's, it's one of those things where it's easy to kind of think it's not that great until you get there and then get there. Getting there is half the fun, or I should say being there is half the fun. Oh, yeah. The, the experience is so different than than what you would think watching television. So I, I think I've never been, so I'm really, really looking forward to it. And like motorsports is also, yeah, I mean, you can you can get the get to the the smallest local, you know, car race. Just the, the sound in itself is just astonishing. You can feel your whole body shaking. You, there's no TV that can give you that feeling. The smell of the of the rubber and the and the the, the cars and the, the the sound and the this how the whole body resonates when they pass, you know, and you're on the on the the um on the finish line is just amazing. Yeah, no, that's that's more my jam. But one of these days, I haven't been to a a race in years, and I've, we've got some local guys that are enthusiasts. We have to to make a commitment to go out and do that. But I think you'll find that it's the the same thing. It's a real slice of Americana at a baseball game. It's cool. I'll, I'll come back after my my trip in September and I tell you how it was. Okay. You know what? Yeah, you're on. You're on. Greg will like that because um, I think that would be a great like three or even four way conversation. I don't know if you'd ever want to come on with Mike too. If that might be oh, he a talks a lot, then I'm always little, taking backseat. You know, <laughs> a little too much like work. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's 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 all good. And I'll be in Detroit, so I try to pick up a, a tiger's hat to 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 add to my mini Magnum collection. Because you you just told me you have yours, but I need to add one too. Yeah, I got the tiger's hat, and then I I went out and found. I mean, and they're not they're not hard to find. They're they're essentially cosplay replicas. But I got the you know the VMO two hat from yeah. TC's TC squadron in the Marine Corps that they wear. With the, the Vietnam and, hat, yeah. Exactly. So there'll be all that stuff to talk about. I really actually do think that would be a fun idea for an episode would be to have people who are Magnum PI heads. And let's do it. But tell me in advance, like like two, two, three weeks in advance, so I can catch up on some of the episodes again. Sure. I have my favorites. So, Well, I'm going to Hawaii for the first time in decades. And I know I heard. Yeah, that's I'm I'm so beyond geeked out. It just just for the trip, but there's the Magnum connection is kind of fun. Do you, is there like a trip or something like a like a I don't know like a sightseeing Magnum stuff that you can do there? You know, I know that they they have a helicopter tour. I mean, most of what they do, I think, was shot on Oahu around um, what is now the the Marine Corps Air Station. I think so. Okay. It's kind of on on that. If you look at the map, it's on the right side of the island, down at the bottom, and then of course everything in like you know Waikiki, Honolulu is the main sort of focus of where they do stuff. I'm not going to Oahu at all. I'm going with my family. I have um, young adult daughters who are not old enough to go out and like party and drink and stuff like that, but who are not little kids. Mm -hmm. so we're not looking for like a nightlife scene or anything. We're going to be on Kauai and we, we may fold in some Oahu, but I think it's going to be almost entirely like outdoor stuff. So like, okay. you know, like aquatic, aquatic and hiking and yeah. exactly. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So we'll have to see how that goes, but I'll get my fill of all of the uh, tropical cocktails and nice. come back with some some good new Hawaiian shirts to add to my collection. But keep us updated. Maybe you see some nice uh, Magnum stuff out there, anyways. In there, like a oh yeah, yeah, totally, totally. There needs to be a bigger cottage industry the way there is for Bond, but 
Yeah. That's a, a separate soapbox. Well, dude, so you're into the NBA. Do you do the whole sneaker thing and everything too? No, I do some, right? But I'm really not as that's the rabbit hole I don't want to go down. Dude. I, like that's that's the thing for me is I, I really love sneakers and they're beautiful and, and I have my my fair share of Stan Smiths and Jordans and this and that, but I really love them and I and I, I can't they always say you should wear your sneakers, but if I wear them, they don't look that good anymore. So I have like, I don't know, like five, ten sneakers and boxes just in storage. But that's the dumbest thing you can do, right? So you really need to wear that stuff. But um, I do love my sneakers. I, I came home and I, I have like four sneakers with me, some Reeboks, Nikes, New Balances and stuff, Stan Smith, obviously. So I, I'm like a – I would say I'm like a, a – like a sneakerhead light. So I would call myself like a, I just buy sneakers responsibly. Then <laughs> I don't like to throw them out. That's the problem. Like, even if they're beat up and it's like, I really like it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get rid of it. So I just, just stash it somewhere. So it's very hard for me to throw sneakers out. I don't know why. Well, there's, they don't, I mean, I guess really, unless you wear the heck out of them, yeah. They don't wear out like an old t-shirt or a pair of socks or something like that where you can justify getting rid of them. And if they're nice sneakers, you know, you might hesitate to donate them in the United States. I mean, I'm sure probably in Europe too, there are places where we can take, you know, clothing for disadvantaged people, yeah. and especially things that are in, in good nick, you know, that are still in good shape and you say, hey, you know, can anybody use this or put this to good use? Um, yeah. With sneakers though, you, you might feel like, oh man, I don't know. There's some... It's there's some watch. They're significant. I can't just give that up. Exactly, and it, and you know when you go on eBay and you look for stances, you see a bunch of beat up stances. People just sell them. Like the, the you know the more beat the better. And there are people looking for for messed up stances. And and of course I that's I guess our sneakers talk with Mike is more about just the stansmith because he's I I don't know if I put him on the sneakers. I definitely told him to get one, and now he's he has a few pairs. Um, and I try to school him on leathers and, you know, fake leather and this and that. Um, I've been on the the, the Stan Smith uh, thing for almost about 20 years. I think the first one I bought in 2005, which is, I know it's not that a long time ago, but at the time I was 20, some 21 and Stan Smith was kind of gone. It it came back a few years after. So I was a early adopter of the the new stan smith generation i should say and, I, and i've been on it I, I haven't had another pair of white sneakers ever since and i have a bunch of stan smiths and you know i, I met the guy i had to sign one and all, all that stuff oh that's epic yeah yeah here in southern california we have all of that you know the the jordan and the adidas and, and yeah. everything but the other thing that we have and i mean it's it's global as well but in southern california i think is kind of the epicenter of vans culture so yeah and i never had a pair a pair of vans in my life and i do love them i like the look i just i don't think i'm i'm that cool you know i'm i'm, I'm more of a stan smith cool kind of guy cuz vans to me it's kind of con- at least my friends that that have those the kind of like the 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 skater guys the the rock music type of people um, and I'm I'm really I'm really not that. I love rock music as well. I love classic rock. Don't get me wrong, but um, I should get some Vans for sure. But yeah, Stan Smith for me now at least. Yeah, well, the parallel is a, a lot of the older, well, I guess newer Vans too. You know, are are named for somebody significant, especially in the skate world. You know, and so that's 
that's kind of a fun thing. Right on. Well, dude, yeah. the other topic that I had, and I'm, I hesitate to bring it up. Maybe we should bring it up as a teaser for the shows that you've done in the past. But yeah. if you if you're listening to our podcast and you do not regularly listen to Mike and Balash on Fratello on Air, and you're interested in watches, um, and you've paid any kind of attention at all to watch news, again, the air quotes, over the past few months, you probably know about, I don't know if scandal is the right word, but I mean, the stories of, you know, about a, a couple of very high profile, and it's more than one at this point, very high profile watches that have gone to auction it turned out to be pretty dodgy. And, you know, the scandal piece is how much did people know in advance and, and should they have known? Is is there, you know, a duty to, you know, uh, do additional research, communicate that, that kind of thing. And there's very different ways to look at it, depending on whether or not you adopt the point of view of the consumer, of the auctioneer, of the seller, of you know, the media surrounding that whole space. And you guys did, I thought, a really good job. Thank covering you. that and and talking about that is there any any kind of new developments on that front specifically with regards to like the franken speedmaster or the the rolex or what have you i i don't i don't think so to be honest um everybody was kind of um careful touching the subject for obvious reasons i mean the watch industry works the way the watch industry works we kind of know how it is and you kind of know what i mean you have to be very careful um, when you say something and about who you want to say certain things, um, I mean, if you if you do your Google search, you you see a bunch of articles and you know what's going on. You know the people involved. Um, Mike and I wanted to touch uh, this topic a little bit, but of course, because we are personally. Um, why affected is maybe the wrong word, but we're, we're definitely closer to the topic than others because of some of the people um, involved from from the brand side. Um, it's a it's a very difficult topic to talk about, and why the the Rolex thing? Because we talked about the Rolex thing as well earlier, like months ago. Why that thing never picked up? I guess it's because the brand was not involved. And with Omega, you know, the brand bought the watch and the brand st said, hey, we know what's, uh, something is not right with this watch. Um, whereas the, the Daytona, whatever, was a private purchase. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to go back to uh, what we talked about when we, when we um, mentioned vintage chronographs. You have to do your research. You have to do your due diligence and and but then of course when people are but the experts are involved and i use air quotes now experts certain experts say this is a kosher watch and it happens to be not then you know what can you do right like um there are certain people in the watch community and i don't want to name names but there are certain people that i know that if i ask them and if they say it's it is what it is I can be 99.9% .9 sure that it is like that uh, because they just know what they're talking about. And there are some people, and again, I'm not going to name anyone, where they say it is kosher, I, I'm going to ask somebody else and then another person and another person. Um, that's just how it is. I'm not sure how it is in the sneaker world. I'm not sure how it is in the... Um, I mean, the sneaker world is different because it's fake or not fake. But maybe in the car, car, uh, you know, collecting vintage cars, maybe that's the same thing. I have no clue. 
Um, it's a very unfortunate situation. Um, and um, yeah, you see, I, I'm still looking for words to kind of express what I think and how I feel about this. But um, but hey, the the Daytona thing was also out there, and and the Periscope article was also out there, uh, just like he did with the Omega um, Speedmaster. Um, he wrote an article about that too. Why certain people picked that? Why certain media outlets praised that and didn't do anything? With the other one until ish hit the fan i i matt i leave this to you to decide i don't know i don't want to say anything sure well i mean it's it's purely speculative and so i won't but i mean i think most people will kind of draw their own conclusions but you're right i mean that is it is an interesting thing where it's it's a hobby it's also a business and you know the the entities that sort of weave the, the hobby piece and the business piece together tend to be, you know, the, the quote unquote watch press and the, the various outlets, even, you know, little things like us, you know, a little podcast or whatever and blogs. Um, and that's kind of what connects it and everything in the middle, you know, between the hobby and the, and the, the business sort of relies on, on the goodwill and free flow you know, between these two spheres and nobody wants to see an apple cart upset. So I get it, but yeah, I would just say everybody, if you, if you have not listened to, you know, the episodes that they did it for Tello on air, um, I'd recommend it because if you, if you cast a jaundiced eye as you probably should towards coverage elsewhere, you know, in the media or on the blogs, um, about as, as close as you're going to get to like an honest, accurate assessment of what's happening um, without, again, without mentioning names, it, it which is a weird phenomenon. Cause I think everybody knows if you're into this long enough, we, everybody knows by name yeah. who we're, who we're talking about in the different sort of arenas. You, you Google it, you see for it like that. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, go, go take a look at that episode and maybe that's enough said. I don't, we don't want to uh, dig that hole any deeper, but it's certainly, it's one of those, it's an elephant in the room. You kind of can't not talk. And about you know it. what, if I can just say one thing and just like a side note, maybe, maybe what this, this whole ordeal with Omega, maybe, or hopefully what this brought into the industry is that people who are planning on doing things like that, they're going to, you know, think again before they act because they see how this, like these things can create this storm and just the storm just goes through the industry and everybody is talking about it and everybody mentions it. So it's, it's not cool to cheat people. It's not cool to sell fake watches, Franken watches. If you sell a watch vintage or new, it's, I think it's better to like, um, to like grade down the condition than up. Right. If you think it's a, it's a good condition, just say it's okay. If you think if you think your watch is a great condition, just say it's good, because then it's a pleasant surprise when the buyer gets it. And if you sell it and you're happy and they're happy, that's all that matters. It, it eventually it will come out. There's so many experts in the world, and social media connects us. So if you put your watch up and you say, "Hey, I bought it here and there, and it's amazing," there's going to be someone saying, "Oh, that bezel is wrong, or that's polished, or whatever." It, it's not worth it. You can you can mess up your your whole career and your your pedigree in in, in like that like in a second. It's not worth it. 
Yeah, there's a lot to lose. Sorry, I put you on mute while you were saying that, or at least from me, I muted myself. My my other phone was ringing. I was like, oh, somebody's leaving a message. I can't turn it off. But uh, no, I agree 100%. And again, yeah, go back and, and listen to uh, to Mike and Balash expound on this. So dude, we're up on about an hour here. I've got one more kind of thing I wanted to ask you. And you could probably spend like an entire episode talking about this, but I was on as a guest host, basically the, what you're doing now with another podcast recently with the whiskey and watches guy, guys, um, in that case, it was just Mike. So guy, but, uh, a topic that came up was this idea, this conundrum that I'm having personally about my collecting and enthusiasm. And if I feel like too unfocused after being sort of interested for over 20 years and maybe collecting actively for about 15 I've never been the person to have an organized collection. And for the most part, that suited me. But part of me is developing this itch that feels like it needs to be scratched by having some kind of organization or just deciding, hey, I need to S or get off the pot, figure out an area that I like and maybe pursue it for a few years. Mm-hmm. So I've thought about developing you know, kind of a, a, a small vertical collection of something. And what I'm leaning toward right now is Seamaster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe a little bit of vintage, a little bit of chronograph, maybe a little bit of precious, uh, some modern, maybe, you know, one or two of the oddball enthusiast or LE pieces, that kind of thing. If forget about whether or not that's a wise decision or not. I'm curious if you were faced with that question or if somebody said, Hey, what's an area that, that would be fun to kind of collect in, you know, a small vertical capsule. What kind of pops into your mind, Balash, as to a place that either you would go or you think other people might find interest in, in going? And you can get as specific as a specific model from a specific brand or maybe a specific brand or whatever. How would you answer that? Great question. No, I think I think this, the Seamaster is an interesting topic because you have basically everything from the 1950s onwards, right? You have the time-only pieces, you have uh, the chronographs, you have the GMTs, but your dive watches. If the James Bond watches and the quartz and the mechanical, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, I never, well, if, if I think I have a few or some, some path in my collection is towards brands like Omega or Angelus, but then there are the vintage chronographs, right? Kind of overlapping. And then I also have these jumbo kind of time only watches. So watches from the, the 40s, 50s, and 60s, they were time only, but in a relatively larger case than than the time. So it's 36, 37, 38. I have Tissot's, Omega's, Eterna's, and stuff. And then I have the Japanese ones, the Seiko's, Vintage and New. So I have a, a lot of avenues that I kind of explored. Um, I always tell people, because sometimes people ask me, you know, what's the watch I should buy because I only have 300 euros. And I it really always tells the people, 300 euros or dollars in this case, it's pretty much equivalent is a lot of money right when when your iphone tells you the time you don't need a watch you can use like a 15 dollars casio watch to tell the time so it's a luxury to spend 300 dollars on a watch much less five thousand to ten thousand so and it, it, the same goes for the collection or or the avenue in which you want to go into just get something that interests you and if that's quirky swatches from the 80s just go for it if it's solid gold day dates Go for it, you know. Um, I, I, 
I think if you think of about certain brands, because something about this brand moves you, your grandfather had one, your father had one, your uncle passed away and the watch, you know, passed on to you or whatever the case may be, or that was your first watch, you got it for graduation and you, you love the brand Omega, Zenith, whatever, just, just stick with it. There, that's the beauty of the, of the community. As I said, there are so many people, some collect military watches and they never served a day in the military, right? But they just love that aesthetics. They, they love the stories. Others just go for Speedmasters, not even Omegas. I've met people who just bought every Omega that just, that, you know, that, that came out. Others specifically bought Speedmasters. We knew guys who specifically bought Speedmasters only in the 60s. There are so many things, and I would never judge anyone based on their, their collection because there is a reason, there's a story behind it, why I'm collecting cheap Swatch watches from the 80s, which, by the way, are not that cheap anymore. That's the story I want to hear. Um, I, have a, I have a collection, or one of the other avenues is Hungarian Air Force watches, which is basically some of them are Angelus watches, some of them are Granas and Omegas and stuff. I've never served in the Air Force. I have nothing to do with it, but it, it was just a compelling story when I first heard it about the Angelus watches with the LE inscription on the back. Um, and I and I stuck with it. And if if somebody asked me about it, I can I can go on and on and talk about these watches. So I think it's just a connection. You need to find a connection to the brand, to the model. And um, the Seamaster, man, it's a it's a rabbit hole. I'm telling you. I mean, I don't need to tell you because you know you have a you have your Seamaster. You got the Railmaster, right? So that's a that's a that's a cool watch. So I have the Seamaster. Greg has the Railmaster. Greg's Railmaster is amazing. It's it's so good. I, I've been able to wear it, you know, for uh, a couple of weeks at a time. Which one do you have? Will. <clears throat> I have the modern Seamaster, the the 2018, and that's the I'm only Seamaster I have. Yeah, okay. Greg's got Greg's got the Railmaster, and Greg has the GMT, mm-hmm. and, and then um, uh, I have the 2018, you know, the new Bond, whatever, um, the the 300M. Yeah. And in fact, so one of the things that I was toying with, and I maybe now, I don't know if I see it as validating or if I can't do it because I see somebody beat me to it, but there's, there's a guy out there who's got a, a Tudor, uh, Pelagos and he's taken, I don't remember if he went black to blue or, or blue to black. I think he went blue bezel onto the black dial watch. Okay. And, and you probably have seen in Omega, especially in um, the Peter Blakes and the early 2500 planet oceans, a lot of people would modify the bezels. So you could do a different bezel insert. A lot of, you would see sometimes bezel and bezel insert from the planet oceans mm-hmm. grafted onto a Peter Blake Seamaster. So a 2254 dot, dot, you know, whatever. Um, and so I thought, well, what if I what if I could get a replacement like a blue bezel for my black watch? And I woke up today, I think it was Fratello, and that was the cover. <laughs> I was like, oh, somebody's beating me to it. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. I was like, oh man, okay, that would be that would be awesome. There's and there's so many, as you say, there's so many things. The the twenty two, it's not a twenty two fifty four, but it's the twenty two fifty four look alike. But that's like an up level that was the. Uh, America's Cup, that, you know, watch that they did with the the white gold bezel. The white, yeah, yeah. So you know, that make me think like, okay, could you could you take a white gold bezel from one of those? Would it fit? I don't know if it would fit. Probably not. You know, maybe. <laughs> but it's it's definitely been on my mind. But yeah, not there's just a ton of stuff you can do with them. 
there's 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 so many options with the Seamaster. As I said, like if you think of Planet Oceans, the small ones, they're they're the forty two, right? They're relatively cheap and they're bulletproof watches. I mean, you can just not go wrong with a, with a Planet Ocean. But even the like you you only have the Tudor GMT. I have a GMT and I have a Black Bay fifty eight, and then in the past I've had Pelagos and a uh, the original Black Bay forty one blue do you see yourself getting another tutor adding it to the collection anytime soon you know i don't know i mean i think the the one thing that's out there i i, I like the pelagos but i had the first one and the thing that i didn't care for um was that that the dial that the entire treatment to me just looks a little too plasticky you know okay. with the kind of that three-dimensional i i really like what they did with the fxd in mm-hmm. terms of kind of thinning it out, flattening it out, keeping the the basic square profiles without elongating them, you know, on the on the um, the indices all the way around, yeah. But not having it look like it's sitting in a in a piece of plastic, and it it basically makes it a little more svelte, cleaner looking. But I'm not a huge fan of the FXD case architecture. I mean, I actually I kind of like it, but to me, that's like your third or fourth tutor. Not your not your first or second, well, you know. If you can you already have a tornado, right? So my my thing would be like, eh, you know, I don't know if I would get one of the the root beer gold GMTs or because um, to me the the new Tudor GMTs are sort of the real. I know other people have said it, but they're the real sort of spiritual successor to the watch you have. You know that when when it was a tool watch because they're the modern GMT masters are just not tool watches anymore. Right, and in my in my mind, no, you're, no, you're right. You're probably right because they're affordable. You know, they're usable. Um, the new ones are obviously you cannot get them. If you can, it's it's a big chunk of change, right? It's like ten grand or so. I love the new one this year. Everybody was talking about the um, the small Pelagos, the the the, the, the titanium ones, and I really love the white GMT. It really, on picture, it looks stupid, but when you put it on, it really pops. So let me ask you, I'm curious because I've I've heard it described. I haven't seen one live yet, and I have not seen pictures that are good enough to capture this. Yeah. But have you seen the and just by way of kind of an example to give you something to refer to, um, the uh Norcane, the white it's a white dial, but they call it like an opaline dial freedom GMT. It's like they're okay. No, I haven't. I, I we had that on loan from the brand to check it out. And I, I specifically asked for that because visually I was like, this is probably the most interesting to me, but it also probably is going to be the most disappointing. So let me just see it so I can decide. Mm-hmm. And it was not disappointing at all. It was a great, great dial, but it was not the the dial color. It was how they did the color where it had that almost pearlescence to it. Is that what the tutor looks like? Because people have some people have said it's just a flat white. I don't think so. I'm, uh, for, for those of obviously the guys are listening, I'm just showing you the the picture that I have. I can I can shoot that over. Um, I, I I cannot really explain. It's just um, I'm I'm not even sure if that's is that shiny. That's a different angle that you can kind of see that it's not really shiny. Um, it's just it's just something that looks really good on the wrist. And I have a I have a seven point five inch wrist, so my wrist is pretty you know pretty big. 
and it it just works. It's it's not too shiny. It's not too not too you know faded or matte or whatever. Um, and I'm really not a white white uh, dial kind of person. I don't really think I have a lot of white dials other than fifties or sixties time only pieces. But that watch and of course the whole brand and the, the people behind it and you know shout out to Christoph um, from Geneva um, and Cole right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was there. I, I I saw him. I haven't talked to him. I was with Christoph. They're just a very um, approachable, very friendly people. Cool brand, nice watches. Um, I have a lot of colleagues with Tudors. They they love them to bits. So it's just a. Uh, but maybe you should stick with the Seamaster. Just stick with stick with the big O. That's that's what that's what we like. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Tudors that I have aren't going anywhere. At least not that GMT. I'm kind of on the fence about the 58. I like it a lot. Uh, objectively, it's great, but there's other stuff in that occupies that space in my watch box that I can rotate through. So if I had to move something, that would probably be it. Um, like you, I really like that white dial. I've I and I like white dials. I I love the white dial Seamaster. I don't have one, um, but I have a sixteen five seventy Polar. I have a a white Datejust. Oh, those are beautiful. The Polar. I could easily you know have a. Uh, a white GMT from Tudor as well. Yeah. yeah. That's have the to, nice. Those cool watches. Have to see. Of course, everybody wants that to be just a little thinner. Me too. But um, it's they're great watches. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, hey, dude, it has been uh, about an hour and 16 minutes. I'm I sorry think, about uh, that. I, Oh, don't, don't even sweat it. I, well, my thing is, I know you've got plans this evening and it's in, I've got to get my morning started, but, uh, it's been great to finally get to chat. We'll definitely have to come on. I think we could do a Magnum show. We could do a Hawaii debrief or yes. a baseball debrief. Um, we could do a, Hey, just introduce you to Greg show. Uh, cause yeah, I know, you know Greg I'm, definitely would love to have input. I'd be, I'd be happy to come back. Uh, as I said, just give me a give me a few weeks to to prepare, and I'm I'm just gonna watch the show. And once I'm back in in, in um I'm in uh, in Cleveland and Detroit at the end of September. So once I'm back, I'm I'm happy to jump back on the show and kick Stockton out because you know he's <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> no, absolutely, it was it was really awesome. Thanks a lot again for having me. It's been it's been great. And then hopefully next time I can bring some some other watches and we can we can talk about some some other stuff, some more vintage stuff, or maybe by then you will have a uh, you will have some new Seamasters to add to your to your theme collection. Maybe, maybe. There's Planet Ocean. There's some uh, some titanium and gold, all of which is kind of calling my name right now. So, oh yeah, we'll talk back in, in one in one sentence about the new Seamasters that just came out last week. The Radiant so Dial. I, like, I I guess the real thing is I. Like everybody, I kind of want to see them. Whenever they do a color that's unusual, it really does depend on on how the the photography was done, what the light saturation is, or the color saturation, what the lighting condition is. Um, I like, I think, just right off the top of my head, um, and it's not a watch that I have or would nor- normally gravitate to, but I really like the Aquaterra. Like mm-hmm. to me, that looks like from the renders, it looks like something that could be in the lineup right now. You yeah. know, in other words, it, it looks like it could always have been something that they offered in that color. I really like the Ploprof. Um, I think the Ploprof coming back in that size and in that that particular offering with the the metallurgy that they're going to use to me that's that's great. 
Um, the 300M, I don't know. That one looks a little monochromatic. The 300 looks like it could be monochromatic, but I like the fact that the 300 maybe does not have that. Um, I'm not, I'm not anti Fotina, mm-hmm. but some people hate it, but I, I would want to just see if it's too much like tone on tone on tone, you know, bezel dial loom, all, all yeah. too much of the same. Um, the planet ocean to me looked great, but I don't like the 40. I like if, and it's just technical, but I like the bigger planet ocean. Cause to me, if you want it full spec, that's the one that gives you the, the, the quote unquote better movement. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I would have wanted to see that. So for me, that's easy to, you know, just deprioritize. Um, but I like them. I think they're neat. I like the new case back. I think that's pretty cool. Awesome, I yeah. did hope like everybody that there would have been some kind of a 2254 redo, but I think in their mind, they think of the planet ocean as the successor to that. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sure you know, because of the of the brand and of the colors, I'm sure it's going to hit California real soon. So you'll be able to to walk into an AD and have a look at it, and you know, try it on. I and would, see. Yeah, I was I was offered a place on the list for him, um, sight unseen, and I'm sort of glad you know I didn't take it, but at the same time, because I just I'm trying not to do the FOMO thing. Mm-hmm. But then the other part of me is, well, you know, sometimes they do this kind of thing where it's like, okay, here's a line in the sand. You know, this is our, our big thing for the anniversary. And then shortly thereafter, they do like a model refresh. Mm-hmm. And it'd be interesting to see if something like that is coming where it might be maybe a more run of the mill watch in terms of the production quantity. Yeah. You know, and maybe it'd be, you know, something, something in black or the more conventional blue, um, but a new version. So I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll see. Indeed. Yep. But I like them. I think they're pretty cool. Me too. Right on. Well, dude, that is it. I appreciate it. Until next time, Balash, cheers. I'm going to hold up my glass here and give you the, the virtual. Here's to you, buddy. How do you say cheers. it in, uh, in Hungarian? Is Egeshegede? Egeshegede, indeed. Yes. That's good. Okay. That's good. It's hard to pronounce. Nazdrovia. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Take care of a lot. Have a good one. Cheers. Thanks, man. See you. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.